All right, let's have some fun. We're in uh, John chapter 5, talking about what a promise. Now, and that song we just did, can we do that again at the end? That thing was crazy good. What a promise. We're talking about the promises of God, so let's have some fun. Uh, I'm going to sing the first two lines of a very popular song from 1971. If you recognize it, stand where you are. If you're adventuresome, if you're not leading a boring life, if you recognize the first two lines, stand and sing with me the second two lines. Are you down? Aaron, you're a worship leader. I know you know this song. Okay? Uh, 1971. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle dove. Anybody? Next two lines. Any? Come on. I know you're amazed by my, my solace. Okay, my wife. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're too... I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harm. You're singing and you're not standing. You're a bunch of chickens. That's what it is. Thank you, Gwen. Let's go down. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. That's all. Hey, you did great. The five of you who live in a, an exciting life. My goodness. Okay, the year was 1971. It was the year I graduated from high school. What was going on? Our country was in a mess in 1971. That's why this song was so famous, so popular. The Vietnam War was going on. Vietnam started in 19. 55, America got involved in 1965 with President Johnson. It ended on our part in 1975. So 1971, we're in the thick of it in Vietnam. That means the hippies were in the streets protesting. Anti-establishment people were in the streets protesting. No one trusted the government, okay? The, the U.S. flags were being burned in our streets. It was shocking. And so you'd have the contrast of those who came back from Vietnam, who lost their buddies in Vietnam, lost limbs, going, wait a minute, you're not welcoming me back? Instead, you're burning my flag? Or, or those from, from the Korean War, from World War II, going, what are you doing burning the flag that I, I fought for? Then you also had Lucy really was in the sky with diamonds. She really had kaleidoscope eyes from LSD. That was from the Beatles song. All this was going on, besides there was free pot and free love. Out of that list, some of you are going, there was free pot? I just missed this. We were in a mess. And so in the midst of all this, Coca-Cola had this genius uh, campaign. And they're saying, look, we are in a mess. But I want you to picture a future of world peace and harmony, and that's what the song did. And you can have it if you just buy a Coke. But the thing is, they're trying to get you to picture a world of peace and harmony, and don't lose me here. But in a sense, in these verses, Jesus wants you to picture your future. And it's especially death is not the end of the road, 
Death is a fork in the road. All right, so we pick it up in John chapter 5. Of course, I'm not turned there, and you are. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. John 5. We'll just begin with one verse, 24. Most assuredly, this is Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, that means you can bank on this. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Father, we pray as we're talking about your promises, you'd write your word on our heart and we couldn't miss it. We would apply it, we would stand on it, because your word is filled with what a promise. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a great trivia question. Maybe you've been sharing with somebody, and they come at you and they go, I don't believe in heaven. Here's a trivia question. How many times does the Bible speak about heaven? Anybody? Great trivia question. You lose. <laughs> It's more than 700 times. So for someone who says, I don't believe in heaven, well, obviously the Bible does. Matter of fact, not only does it talk about heaven, it talks about hell, and Jesus spoke more about hell than all the other prophets of the Bible combined. So he believes in heaven and in hell. Now, have you ever had this happen where somebody asks you a question that rattles your thinking? It challenges your belief system and thus forces you to change the way you live. I've had this. See, I was, this is a true story. I was here already a senior pastor of a Calvary chapel. But because of my background, of my upbringing, of my church background, I believed you could lose your salvation. My emphasis was on my hand holding God's hand rather than God's hand holding my hand. I didn't understand the covenant that God says, the promises that he says that he saved me. So here's a, this guy asked me about everlasting life. And, and here we read in this verse 24 that you, if you believe in him, you have it already. In John 10, Jesus gets even further where he goes, my sheep, I know them, they hear my voice, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This is called security. My father, he goes on, who is greater than, he's given them to me, he's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one, and that's when they picked up stones to stone Jesus to death. So, he, here, he's quoting these scriptures, and, and what I, what he, then he goes, okay, here's my Bible professor. He had taught at Dallas Theological for 17 years. He was real, wrote his own commentaries. He's the real deal. He goes, could someone here define for me eternal life? Could you define for me everlasting life? And again, at this point, I thought you could still lose your salvation. And it hit me. Eternal it will last forever. Life, once you have it, you can't lose it. You see, if I think I have eternal life or everlasting life and then I lose it, 
That wasn't eternal. That was temporal life. Hear the promise, and that's what a promise. Jesus said, no, no, no. You believe in me, you'll have eternal life. And so that's what changed my life that night in Bible college. Now, he said, you shall not come into judgment. What, why, what's the big deal? Because you might be thinking, maybe it's not that bad. God is a merciful God. He loves me. He understands. So maybe I can face this judgment. What is the judgment of God like? You know what it's like? Just look at the cross. It's pretty thorough. It's pretty radical. When you look at the cross, I understand what God thinks of my sin. Because that's what it took to pay for. It's what he thinks about your sin. It's the wrath of God poured out on his own son. So, Jesus said, look, you believe in this? Believe in me? You've already passed. You've already gone past the judgment. Jesus took the judgment for us on the cross. I will never face God in judgment for my sins and face a penalty for my, I'll face consequences, but I won't face him there and have to give an, uh, an answer because Jesus did that for me. That's what he's saying. Now, it's already done. It's, it's past tense here. He, I already have it. Now, you go, how did this happen? And if, if you ever doubt your salvation, if you ever doubt God's forgiveness in your life, if you're sitting here going, I'm not sure I'm forgiven, I'm not, I'm not sure I need it, I think one of the best explanations in the Bible is found in 1 Peter. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he uses a farmer's term. Because, you know, farmers plant corruptible seed. You plant a corn seed, you overwater it, it could die. You don't water it enough, it could die. It's corruptible. It might make it, it might not. But to be born again, God plants an incorruptible seed in your heart. It will not die. It will produce fruit. That's why when someone says, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and you see zero growth in their life, they're an enigma. What do you mean? You're saved from what? Where's the change? Where's the growth? Where's the work, the evidence of the Holy Spirit convicting of sin? Challenge you to grow. Challenging you to, to be more Christ-like. You see, this is when you're born again, when God Almighty plants his seed in your heart. That's why we often refer to, hey, you ask Christ into your heart. And at that point, God is planting a seed in your life. It will produce fruit. It will not die. So if you've never done that, today's a good day. Peter goes on in 2 Peter to say, you want to make sure you did this. You want to just, you don't want to just go to church and kind of cruise and, oh, yeah, I think I'm close enough and my grandma's praying for me. Now he says, you, the individual, make sure of this, that you really are saved. Now, let's read the rest of our, our, our portion of Scripture for this morning. John 5. We're picking it up in verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming. And now is um, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the, light, the son to have life in himself. 
and has given him authority to execute judgment, judgment also, because he's the son of man. Don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who hear or all who are in graves will hear his voice and, and come forth. Those who have done good, so he's going to describe two resurrections or two directions. Remember, death isn't the end of the road. It's a fork in the road. So those who have done good to the resurrection of, of um, I'm sorry, to, to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Okay, let's break this down. Do you remember 1843? <laughs> if you do, you're a miracle. You're amazing. 1843 was the year Charles Dickens released his book, the, A Christmas Carol. I want to share the background uh, uh, or the, the essence of what it's about. Ebenezer Scrooge was the main character. He was a, a cranky, grumpy old man who had lots of money and no friends. You know, oh, it sounds like my uncle. No, he had lots of money, no friends, and he was visited by, remember, the three different angels of Christmas or uh, ghosts of Christmas. Ghosts of Christmas passed. Hey, you once enjoyed Christmas. It really meant a lot to you. Christmas present, you're a miserable, cranky old man. All you're worried about is more money, and nobody, nobody likes you. Then he showed him the ghosts of Christmas future. Now this, okay, this is just for an illustration. And the ghosts of Christmas future showed him his future. He showed him his grave. Said, you know what? You die. They buried you, but no one came to your funeral. No one cared. Now the, the thing is, Ebenezer Scrooge changed his life when he saw his future. He said, wait, I don't want to end up like that. So what the angel, what the, uh, the ghost of Christmas future did, said, listen, if you continue on this path for the next 10, 20, 30 years, this is the end result. It won't vary. Your course has been set. If you want change, now's the time. So Ebenezer changed his life when he saw, I don't want to end up like that. In the same way, or in a similar way, Jesus in these scriptures is saying, this is your future. You will rise from the dead. If you don't like the end result, if you're continuing on this path for the next 10, 20, 30 years, and it goes in the wrong direction, you have time to change now the direction you're going. So he's describing two different resurrections. One, I face Jesus Christ. Because he paid for my sins, this is a reward seat. This is what I've done since he's given me forgiveness. And he's given me spiritual gifts. And he's given me opportunities. He's given me these, the times to do something with me. And he'll judge me accordingly and reward me accordingly. It's not payment of my sins. That's already done. The second or the other resurrection is the one, he says, of condemnation, where you rise and you also face Jesus Christ. But for those in this one, they're facing the Jesus they rejected for their entire lives. 
They're facing the Jesus they mocked. They didn't have time for. They never trusted and believed in him. And they will end up in hell. It's, it's that simple. Now, this is no ordinary claim. For Jesus to say, hey, you hear my words? You, you believe in my Father? Uh, you're going to go to heaven. Do you picture this? And because I think it's helped so much to picture what we're reading. So say today, 2022, you see somebody walking down Cam Highway. And there's kind of a crowd with him. And, and what is he saying? He goes, listen, if you hear me and you follow me, you're going to go to heaven. And you're thinking, that guy's a kook. Who was he to say any? I don't believe him. Do you understand? Some people thought the same way about Jesus Christ. Who's he? He's just a guy. He's a carpenter. I know his mom and dad. And now he's claiming that if you follow him, uh, you'll, you'll go to heaven. Now, he's saying also, everyone, everyone will rise from the dead. I'm included. You're included. What a radical claim. Everyone's going to rise from the dead. Just like Lazarus, we'll get into him in chapter 11. Remember when Jesus was at the grave of Lazarus? Lazarus come forth, and he comes forth from the dead after being dead for four days. We will have a Lazarus-like experience and come forth and see Christ. Now, this is what I want to do. This is such a powerful promise. What do you do with that? And in this church, I'm assuming most of you are already there. And you're the, see, now, I don't need to hear a sermon of something I did 20 years ago. How does that apply in my life today? So here the, here's the deal. The believer's already passed from, from the judgment. We've already been given eternal life. So I have a question. What do we do between now and heaven? See, every believer has eternal life. Not every believer has abundant life. Not every believer stands on the promises of God no matter what and says, what a promise. Okay? So, are you enjoying your Christian walk? I think that's a great question. Or are you enduring it? Are you enjoying your, your Christian walk? Are you enjoying God's promises? Here's, here's, here's my thing. Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be, well, I got my act together. Get a job. He said, don't be haughty. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things, notice, to enjoy. Do you understand one of the greatest advertisements for God is happy kids, joyful kids, blessed kids, victorious kids, kids who love God, they love one another. One of the worst advertisements for God is the opposite. Why are you such a sourpuss? I'm serving God. Oh, too bad. You know, so not to be victorious, not to have joy, not to have that freedom, the abundant life, it's a, a lousy advertisement for God. So Jesus called it the abundant life. And we also have the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Would your kids say, yeah, that's my mom. That's my dad. Would your co-workers say, oh, my goodness, they're talking about you. Or are you going, wait, I, uh, 
It's been a long time since I said, what a great promise that is. Now, are you enjoying? Because we have a God who has given us hundreds and hundreds of promises that we can say, what a promise. So are you enjoying? Here's a dad who did not enjoy. I believe it was seventh grade, my teacher told us this story, and it has stuck with me ever since. I want to say it was from a Puritan, so it goes way back. But the story is that a dad and his son each kept their own diary, all right? And in their diary, so what happened, they go fishing one day, and they're going to compare dad's diary to the son's diary to see who's enjoying the abundant life. So dad writes in his diary, uh, you know what? We didn't catch any fish. What a wasted day. The son, same experience. In his diary, he goes, wow, fishing with my dad in a boat all day. Just the two of us. Best day ever. What, what, what happened? Dad's emphasis was goal-oriented. Dad was saying, you know what? If we don't catch any fish, it's a waste of time. My goal is to catch fish. Son's emphasis is completely different. His emphasis is loving God, loving one another. I get to spend the whole day with my dad. Are you serious? Just the two of us in a boat. Who cares if we catch any fish? I'm with dad. That's a man, that's a boy who's enjoying his life here. All right, so here, the believer, back to our original statement, He's already passed through judgment and has been given eternal life. That means if you die right now, you're in. You're gone. What a promise. So, okay, but again, the question, well, what, what do we do between now and then? How do I live? How do I exist? How do I make it between now and then? It's on those what a promises, okay? So stand on God's promises or do I doubt them? Now, let me ask you a question. You might not get this at first. Have you ever had the demon of electricity go through your home? Now, I don't think there is such, but it's just this coincidence that every so many years goes through our house. Now, it started a couple months ago. My expensive scroll saw just busted. I have a scroll saw from Germany. I got it on Craigslist or whatever, had to fix it up, order some parts, blah, blah, blah. I'm showing someone from the church how to make a present for her grandma, and it breaks. And I'm going, why? I have no idea how to fix this. I don't know what part's broken. It just won't work. Do you ever plead with that? God, I was doing something good. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. It broke. Next day, a window unit, window air conditioning unit breaks, just dies. Now, if you're living in India or deepest Africa, you're thinking, you have electricity? You have air conditioning? I wish I had your trials. Yeah, but I'm living here, and this really was my trial. I know what it's going to take to replace that thing and the time and the effort. And, oh, and the next day, our garage freezer breaks down. Do you ever notice... Now, it was full of food, frozen food at one time. You ever notice your freezer doesn't give you a day's notice? Dude, tomorrow, I'm going to break. <laughs> Get ready. 
No, you usually wake up in the morning and there's this puddle in your garage going, oh man, hundreds of dollars. And so between the saw and the air conditioner, now the freezer, you start to go, God, are you trying to show me something? Is there sin in Karen's life? Because I'm sque squeaky clean. Did you go through that? All right, times like that, and I call it the demon of electricity. I don't know what it is. I mean, come on, compared to Job, we've never had a trial. Job's 10 kids die in one day and loses his fortune in one day. And then his wife says, you have bad breath. Why don't you curse God and die? We, we don't have trials. And I go, okay, a lot's going on. And this is what I always ask myself. Is this all it takes to discourage me and get me to drop out of the race? Because I look at Job. Do you know what he did, remember? In all this, he worshipped God. And how many times we go through uh, one millionth of the trial and we just want to shake our hand at God and what are you doing? Whatever you're going through right now, is that all it takes? I mean, in the grand scheme of eternity and knowing that the, the death is not the end of the road, it's a fork in the road, and if you're trusting Christ, you're going in the right direction. Is this all it takes to say, I'm out. I'm never going to fellowship again. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to claim God's promises. Or you go, no, wait, wait, wait. Is that all it takes? You see, on the other hand, am I going to stand on God's promises? And say, what a promise. He promises of abundant life. John chapter 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He promises to be a good shepherd. He promises to be a provider. He promises to give you guidance and wisdom and, and new mercies every morning. I mean, so far, is are we, anything bad? They're all, what a promise. What a promise. And, and yet, we go through these trials and instead of standing on the promise, say, what a promise, we go through mind games. Okay, here's some mind games. I look, I'm looking for mind games in the Bible, scriptural mind games. I thought, of, well, it didn't take long, Eve. Satan comes up, to, messes with her mind. Hey, are you sure? That's what God said. Do you really think he meant that? And all of a sudden, she's got this mind game going on. She's so innocent. She has no idea what's going on. It's called a mind game. Then there's Abraham. Abraham's called the father of the faith. He's called a friend of God. He's a liar. He gets his beautiful wife to, to go along with him in this lie. So don't you think Abraham had a mind game or two going, you're going to follow me? You're going to call me the father of the faith? I'm a liar. I lied about my own wife. I put her life in danger. And then there's Rahab the harlot. She's going, wait, wait, wait. You're going to judge the rest of this town, Jericho? I'm going to live? I'm a, I'm a whore. I'm a hooker. I know almost every guy in this town the wrong way. And I got paid for it. I am not worthy. Think that's a mind game. How about 
ASAP, oh, one of my heroes, he was the chief musician, the, the leader under King David. And in Psalm 73, he goes, you know, I know God is good to Israel. Those guys are so pure in heart. They're just so, but as for me. And so immediately he's seeing himself isolated from the people of God. He's seeing himself removed from standing on the promises of God. He's going through a mind game. And in the rest of that psalm, he talks about some, if you knew what was going on inside of me, you'd leave. He had mind games. Then there was Bathsheba. I don't know. I'm just kind of picturing the day she's coronated as queen. What? Me and queen? Are you serious? I'm an adulteress. My boyfriend had my husband murdered. And you're going to make me... I, I, do you think she didn't have some mind games? How about the Shulamites in the Song of Solomon? The Shulamites, she's... Solomon wants to marry her. She goes, I'm not worthy. Look at me. I'm not worthy. How about the prodigal son in the New Testament? I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to come home. Let me just eat with the slaves. Then the worst mind games, the ones that you have, the ones that I have. You know what, what mind game really trips me out? is when one of you comes up to me and says, you don't have mind games. That gives me mind games. How do you not have mind games? I mean, the devil messes with our minds. He challenges the word of God. He's saying, are you sure? So what do you do? Well, I look at Sarah. Not Nakamura, but... <laughs> Sarah from the Old Testament, who's talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. You ever wonder, okay, she, she submits to her husband, she lies to the, the king of Egypt and all that. Well, it says, okay, two things it talks about in Hebrews, not, or Hebrews 11. Number one, okay, you're old, you're 90, you're going to have your first kid. And she's, Lord, you're too late. Number two, you're leaving your home, the only one you've ever known and you're going to follow your husband to the promised land. You're leaving everything, family, friends, businesses, your bed, you're gone. And so she said, well, we just confess we're strangers, we're pilgrims, meaning I've tried, I just don't fit in down here. They're living by a different set of standards. They're making me feel like I'm evil when, you know, woe is them who call evil good and good evil. I just don't fit in here. How about this one? It says, truly, now here's where the mind games come in. If they had called to mind, if their mind is dwelling on this and thinking about this, if they had called to mind the country, that country from which they had come out, they could have gone back. And so at this point you go, okay, what kind of mind games do you think Sarah had? Let's start with, I'm too old for this. That's too uncomfortable. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my friends. I don't like that town. I don't like those people. I'm out. Do you think she has some mind games? 
So when it came to, Lord, 90? I'm too old to have babies. When it comes to leaving my hometown, what helped her overcome the mind games? Look at this verse, Hebrews 11, verse 11. She judged him faithful. Like that song we sang this morning. She judged him faithful who had promised. Okay, it's not like some guy up front promised me something. It's God promised me I would have a baby. God promised me he'll take care of me in this new land. And I consider him faithful. I don't know about the circumstances. I don't know where I'm going. God says, just follow me. Okay, I consider you faithful. See, the difficulty of the task must be measured by the agent performing that task. God is faithful. God is able. So let's bring it home. The worst mind game possible is giving up. Remember I said, is this all it takes? And uh, I completely forgot about this situation. I went to a funeral recently. I had done this guy's wedding decades ago. His daughter said, oh, you got to come to the funeral. And so I'm at the funeral. I'm actually talking to a friend, Tom Mayo. And this other guy comes up to me. And I go, man, I don't like having these senior moments when a guy's right there saying, hi. Do I know? I know I know you. I just don't know where from. And he's actually... He was a captain of a boat. I recently had, I, you know, I don't know, earlier this year, a bunch of us went out on a boat, and he was the captain. And he's, he comes up to me and says, hey, uh, thanks for sharing with my worker that day. The guy's name was Austin. So Tom goes, what's he talking about? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot. We went on this boat and had time to meet with every worker, and I just started sharing the Lord with the, the, the various workers. So I went up to Austin and just started sharing my testimony, sharing how much Jesus loves him, and Austin's mouth drops. His jaw, I mean, this is like classic Hollywood. It just dropped. All right, what? <laughs> you see, just two days before that, Austin had put a gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and the gun did not go off. And he said, I can't believe you're here now telling me about Jesus. So I go, look, God's not done with you yet. And just encourage him, get back in there with the Lord. You know, he just, his girlfriend broke up with him, and you know, the story, and I might as well end my life. No, that's a ripoff. That is a ripoff. Or tell them, you have so much to live for. You have so much to fight for. Don't give up. Get back there with the Lord. So what are you facing this week? <laughs> I comically say, well, demon of electricity, better you than me, man. He's gone from my house, so. How about this one? Um, loneliness. Now, how many of you thought, why did you have to say that? I was really tracking with you until you started talking about loneliness. I don't like to admit that one. I don't like to be so vulnerable. How about this one? Success. Be careful. Because when you can afford to buy whatever it is out there, a new car every week, 
or you know, restaurants every night, whatever. Just yeah, I can afford it. Be careful. It's an old saying: a lot more people can handle poverty than they can handle success. Goes to your head. How about this one? Frustration. I don't like the word frustration. I like the word fruitfulness. Frustration would be the opposite. The bottom line is you're not going to face anything that the promises of God, the faithfulness of God won't carry you through this very week. Okay, we started with Ebenezer Scrooge. Remember? What year was it written? 1843. Somebody's listening. Ebenezer was the... Uh, Cranky old man, lots of money, no friends. He's visited by those ghosts. Christmas past, present, future. And when he saw his future, he changed his life. And again, we use that illustration to say, well, right now Jesus is saying, this is your future. Everyone. Everyone will be resurrected. Everyone will face Jesus Christ. Everyone will see death is not the end of the road. It's a fork in the road. Either I go this way by accepting Christ or I go the other way by rejecting him. What's scary is so many people think they have, they got it down. Oh, man, when I'm there, I got this thing. I know what I'm going to say to God. And Jesus even covered that. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And, and he's going to say, Go. I never knew you. You didn't depart from your sin. So again, we started with, Coke had this great uh, campaign. Uh, just try to picture your future. And then it'd be a future of world peace and harmony. And then we're saying, Jesus is trying to get us to picture heaven. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of, I don't understand why everything's breaking. I don't understand why she broke up with me. I don't understand why people are treating me. I don't understand why it's not working. Is that all it takes? Stand on his promises. He's trying to picture. There will be a time. There will be peace and harmony. We don't need a jingle. We need the gospel. Because Jesus, Jesus is the real thing. How do you get there? By accepting that incorruptible seed. If the worship team can come up, we're going to close here. But for this, I, I just picture someone, a guy or girl, in just total surrender. Lord, I'm not trying to fashion that thing my way. I just want you to do your work in my life. I'm a sinner that's no, that's not debatable. I need forgiveness. I need newness of life. I need you to put your seed, your incorruptible seed in my heart and I'll be heaven bound. You see, you want to meet Jesus as your Savior before you meet him as your judge.